G'day and welcome to another episode of Perth Property Insider. I'm your host, Jared Mann, and today I'm excited to be bringing you some insights into why you should look at choosing your agent before you go about choosing your suburb and choosing your property. Now, uh, a lot of people have been asking uh, for our input on um, those two very things, and it I'm excited, I guess, when we can get involved at the front end because we can help prevent a lot of the mistakes that investors make and we can add a huge amount of value, I guess, to the property that you end up choosing, the suburb that you end up buying in and the conditions that you end up writing in your offer. And we think super long-term on these things too. So we're also able to give input on the both the rentability side and looking at how is this property going to go when the market's actually you know not as good and going through another down dip whenever that comes could be three years could be five years could be 10 but we've seen the worst and so we know what holds up even in those conditions and i'm also always looking at what's a property's future resale ability because you never know when you're going to want to you know sell a property so we cover heaps of stuff today. Excited to have Dwayne back, one of my colleagues, uh, previous property manager of the year in 2013. And uh, yeah, we have a really good chat today about why you should be looking at choosing your agent before choosing your property. So let's go inside. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate the highly rated and award-winning property management specialist servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here is your host, Jared Mann. G'day, Dwayne. It's great to have you along today. I'm looking forward to having an in-depth chat on choosing your agent before you choose your property. I guess we certainly see the inside of this topic a lot, don't we? <laughs> yeah, we sure do. We really do. We see some mistakes often made by people, but uh, we'll go into that a little bit deeper into this conversation. And no doubt, and now that investing's becoming the barbecue topic of choice and everyone's starting to get back on the bandwagon, we tend to be starting to hear from the smart investors that have either are an existing client of ours or understand the value that the right agent can add to their property investment search and choice of property. And it's great to be chatting and helping people on the front end, isn't it? Sure is. We can sure add a lot of value to the type of property and the location in which people choose to buy when we get to know them a little bit better and we can give them the insights for things to look out for when they're looking for properties too. So let's go through some of these areas because I guess the average person just thinks and that every agent, every property manager is the same and they often treat them like a commodity and an afterthought. But I guess how we approach things is pretty different. And firstly, we can bring a lot of knowledge to the choice of a suburb. And what are some of the, I guess, the insights or the the ways we can influence or help that choice? Dwayne, what's your thoughts around that? Yeah, look, there's a couple of key factors to take into consideration with suburbs. And um, one, of, one of the first things, even before we start to look at what suburbs are the right suburbs, we want to be looking at things uh, from the perspective of the client. Are they after capital growth or potentially a little bit more cash flow? And as we start to narrow that down for them, we can start to look into the suburbs that fit that and look at things like the high rental demand in that suburb with you know low vacancy rates for that type of property. And obviously having that experience in the area, getting to be on the ground and having 
conversations with people that, you know, the people that will actually rent the property. So we get that wider perspective because we do manage all the way from, you know, manager to essentially Yanchip now. And we get to see and feel what's on the ground and what people actually want. So it gives us an idea of the, the rental demand in each of those suburbs. Yeah. And obviously we can look up and not everyone has access to such data. We can see what is the vacancy rate in that given suburb for houses and or units. And we can chat with our property manager, find out, you know, what they're seeing at their home opens, you know, what tenants are paying more for or which areas have that stronger demand. And you can start to maybe cross some of your suburbs off that aren't as strong as others. And of course, let's not forget, I mean, we've just been touching on what is happening now, but having been around for 13 odd years, you know, we've seen the ups, we've seen the downs, haven't we? Uh, more downs uh, sure over have. the last five years. <laughs> sure so we have. can, you know, it's very uh, fresh in our minds to think back, oh, how did this go in in the absolute down market was it still was it tough to get tenants back then here because you know everything goes in cycles and we might be back around to a low period in another five seven you know hopefully we have a decent run but you plan for the worst don't you well, you sure do. And when you talk about suburbs, there's always good and bad parts of suburbs too. Yeah, and exactly, uh, yeah. one, of, one of the things that I've noticed as well is that if you're speaking with a local real estate agent, and I use the word local because they service a few areas around the office, they usually try and promote those areas for you to purchase into rather than looking at the whole Perth metro area and picking the suburb that actually benefits you the most because they know about that area. So it's not like they're trying to be biased. It's just what they know. But when you've got such a vast variety of information that we do, it's a lot easier to provide that kind of knowledge to those prospective clients too. And I guess that kind of leads nicely into you know, giving some input around the investment potential of an area and that's something that I certainly love to do when, um, you know, you have seen a lot of what makes a good area for investment as well as me. But I guess we can check at what stage of the growth cycle a given suburb's in and have some input on that. And this is particularly more important when... You know, it just depends like what you're looking for. If it's a real long-term investment, you might just want to buy in the best area you can afford and, and buy in there whenever you can afford to buy. And But sometimes you might, if a suburb's getting too hot, you may wish to look in the neighbouring areas that haven't had as much recent growth that still represent a good long-term investment, but they, they might be next to have some catch-up and we can you know, give some input as to where the next sub- suburb might be to leapfrog. And also an area that I'm particularly fond of is looking into the history of capital growth for an area. So not just the last 10 years, because that's not even relevant and that data is more readily available, but we're going as far as getting data for 20 and 30 years so that we can look at, I guess, the overall proof, you know, what's an overall proven performer because you know then if something's performed well in the past if those factors are still the case desirability of schools transport amenity you know the river the the beach if all those things are still there more than likely it's going to continue to perform for the same reasons it has and of course with our ear to the ground and we get a lot of notifications from councils and and we can look at what's coming up for planning of infrastructure to know what other factors might contribute to increasing 
the demand in certain areas, uh, both from a tenant's point of view and from a future resale point of view. So, oh, that was a lot there. Billy took a breath there, Dwayne. <laughs> <laughs> I get excited about it, the investment potential side of things, as you can tell. <laughs> sure do. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess we're trying to make that suburb choice and the selection as, I guess, easy as possible for an investor because it's probably the number one thing that we do get asked. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will be covering probably in a bit more depth in some future episodes the selection side of things and some of the other factors that contribute to that, uh, what makes for a good suburb. But I guess when you combine the knowledge of the suburb and the history and the infrastructure and other factors that are contributing, then you can start to get narrow down your choices and come to a suburb that you might be focusing on. So let's say we've got we've chosen our suburb, Dwayne. What's the next area that we could add some value to someone on in in considering a purchase? Yeah, so when considering a purchase, I think it's also important to understand, as I said earlier, whether they're looking for capital growth or cash flow and the type of property uh, can really impact that as well. So for instance, if I said I've got a property in Mount Lawley, it could be a one-by-one apartment or it could be a four-by-two that's got a swimming pool that attracts a completely different type of person. So by having an understanding of what types of properties are in demand in those areas and the contributing factors as to why, we can give you some guidance as to which ones to look at. Now, example of Mount Lawley, that public school out there is quite desirable and a lot of people try to land in that catchment area. So, you know, if you're looking at a one-by-one apartment, that's probably not going to be the driver there. But for the four-by-two family home, well, the kids get to go to Mount Lawley High. Perfect. So you've just got to look at the type of property it is, not only the suburb that you're in. I guess in your case of the one-by-one or two-by-ones, you've got to then consider, you know, do you want to attract uh, multiple adults to live together? And, you know, you need enough bedroom size in the second bedroom so that they're capable of sharing. And I guess what do those young professionals want? Well, they want to be super close to the cafe strip ideally as close as possible and you know have all their amenities on the door step whereas oh, the family fine. doesn't mind being a little bit further away you know and the nightlife is not not so much a concern is it oh that's right and i think that's where it leads straight into the target demographic so when you're looking at those types of properties what is the ideal demographic that we are looking at targeting and are they prepared to pay the price that you know, we want for that rental property. By tying those two things together with your choice of suburb, it really gives us a bit of an edge when it comes to choosing the right property and, you know, to purchase. Yeah. And when we start to, I guess, look into the property and, you know, what are its fixtures and fittings and, you know, basically how is it decked out? What are some of the factors that affect its rentability? Because I know you're always looking at this day in and day out. Yeah, look, anytime um, a client comes on board, it's one of the first things we do because it is something that's controllable, particularly when you talk about decking out a property. From the client's perspective, you can spend a few dollars to invest into that property so that you can get the right person to move in. This all stems back to the demographic again. You know, if you've got a family home there, you know, there's little things that we can do to make a big difference. And it could be just as simple as having wardrobes in the bedrooms. Take Mountain Lawley, for example you know, some of the three by ones there that families may be attracted towards simply for the school catchment area, don't have robes built in. (laughs) So by adding those robes in, it makes it a lot more rentable, particularly in a tough market. And when the market's a little bit 
I suppose, as it is now, <laughs> you know, as it's hot. BYO, um, whatever, <laughs> just uh, get your foot in the door, really. Yeah, it's a little bit different, but you want to set yourself up so that, exactly. you know, if the market turns, that you're ready to go and you're not going to be out of pocket when it's a tough time as well. So little things like that can actually make um, a big difference to prospective tenants as then they don't have to purchase and invest money into a property they're never going to stay at for, you know, for an indefinite time. It's a fixed term, you know, period that they're there. So what are some of the other areas that make a property more suitable for rental over others? <laughs> yeah. Look, if you've got gardens, just make sure they're reticulated. You want to set it up to be as easy as possible for the tenants to maintain and look after. And gardens is one of those things that can get quite bad over time and it takes a lot of time or a lot of money to get back to being square. Other things, I think that you need to have air conditioning as well. I think that's a really important factor that appeals to tenants, particularly in the heat of summer. Like if you go and see a property now as a tenant and it's piping hot in there, I don't think you're going to apply for the place. I once rented a property in my bachelor days without checking whether it had AC. Took the rental in winter, got to summer and certainly learned my lesson. I was sleep, had to go sleep over at my parents' place for a few <laughs> weeks because it just got too much there's only <laughs> yeah. so many cold showers you can have <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good but most tenants won't won't make that mistake and in that case i was even willing to pay for half of the air conditioner but the owner still wasn't willing to budge you know don't be stingy when it comes to putting air conditioning in and we are living in perth and at least i don't know any tenant that could survive a 40 degree day a few days in a row so Seems like basics, but what are some of the other stuff that makes a property rentable or not? I, I like to think of if you need to replace floor coverings, choosing the most hard-wearing ones that you can. It can sometimes be, you know, I guess a poor choice to put light-coloured uh, carpets in when uh, oh, yeah. they're going to show up any single spill. I usually like to go with the darker carpets, you know, in bedrooms where I'm replacing them or choosing them first. firstly. And uh, I'm a big fan of tiles and, uh, you know, they just seem to wear a lot better than the cheaper vinyls and some of the laminates, but there are some other real good quality hard-wearing uh, you know, floor coverings that are available these days that are, you know, worth checking into. I'm sure if you ask the flooring shop and tell them that you want something hard-wearing and tell them it's for tenancy, they can make recommendations as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the things when you talk about the rentability of a property, it's a very costly thing. But if you have a wow factor when you walk into the property, you know, a brand new kitchen or a fully renovated bathroom or even just really amazing curtains, you know, like really amazing fitted curtains that have cost a few thousand dollars at the point of purchase, not necessarily saying that you're going to invest that money in. Those things actually make a big difference as well. And tenants have a wow factor, something they can remember when they walk away from the property. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we did touch, I have done a whole episode on renovating and we've checked that out back in our past episodes. If you want any more input on that, and I think in the future, we'll probably do an episode on specifically renovating to rent out. So uh, watch out for that one in the future. Now, before we get carried away, I'd love to go into, I guess, what we can do and certainly the input we can give for future resale value. So we've been speaking about rentability, but a lot of people uh, don't think about the day that they're going to sell their property when they're buying it, do they? No, no <laughs> um, they It's don't. a real afterthought. So 
just because you can get a screaming bargain and no one else is interested in the property, that's not always the best property to buy. (laughs) (laughs) You kind of want to know that there is at least interest in the property from the market or you can renovate it and improve its desirability so that it has interest because it's going to certainly help you attract both tenants and maximize your end selling price later. So that's why renovating a property can be a great strategy because not only do you buy it well on the front end because less people are interested, but then you you increase the value, you can refinance and pull that money back out that you've put in. When it does come time to sell, you're going to have more buyers competing and paying an emotional price, I guess. So when it comes to resale, there can be some real big things that are going to affect the, uh, you know, I guess the overall desirability. So I like to, I guess, try to rule out and, and not buy next to a number of things. So I don't like big power lines. Could be that I used to be an electrical engineer and I see them more <laughs> than the average buyer would. But I've sold enough properties next to the power line corridors and in my experience, it's just not worth the price discount that you're able to get. There's less buyers that are going to be interested and when you're in a downward market, these are the types of factors that affect you even more so than when you're in an upward market makes it even more difficult to sell. So some of those other factors that just come to mind, really don't like to discriminate, but I always like to check whether we're next door homes west or whether there's too many homes west houses in the street. Now, I was looking at making an offer on a property in Mount Hawthorne uh, some months back and I did discover that there was a homes west house next door. Went and met the people and they were lovely. They were probably, they were very informed on the street and seemed extremely lovely. So it's nothing against the people in general but it's a num- many buyers would actually rule out the property if they knew that there was a Homes West next door. And the more available that information is getting and the more savvy that buyers are getting, you know, it's a factor that you really don't want in the way if you can choose otherwise um, later. It will have an impact on your future resale. Some other things are... I really, you know, it really detracts when you're next to a drainage or a, you know, a sump drain or, you know, these, I guess, the public open spaces that are set aside for drainage. A lot of buyers, you know, think about the mosquitoes and other things that can uh, be breeding in there and waft flying over to your, <laughs> to the house. So that never makes for, you know, a, a desirable property. You know, so if you can avoid buying next to those, that's another thing. And then when it comes, that's some of the location aspects or or before I leave location, people like to be close to shops and close to schools, but directly across the road? No, (laughs) not not really. You know, especially when you've got a liquor shop as part of the local strips, strip shops, you know, you can get people coming and going at all kinds of hours and, uh, you know, some less desirables around. And especially when it comes to the school, not sure if you've been around a school during uh, drop-off and pick-up, but it turns into a bee's nest of activity. (laughs) And, you know, it, it adds to the traffic noise. It, you know, you've got people parking on your lawn. Got, you know, when the school fate or assembly's on, you've got cars, you know, 
can't even get out of your driveway. These are some of the things that buyers don't always think of until after the fact, but the informed buyer will see these negatives and will, you know, it will detract from the price or may rule it out entirely in the case of someone that's really particular. So when we then look inside the property, some of the things that affect resales, size of bedrooms and number of living areas. So you can renovate a house, but you can't easily increase the space that's available. And if I had a dollar for every time I heard on the weekend, one of the houses I'm selling, uh, I really want a second living area. I really want bigger bedrooms. Oh, it's the number. Those are the top two things I always hear. So, you know, don't uh, buy a four by two expecting to attract a family. And getting back to your demographics earlier, Dwayne, mm-hmm. don't expect to attract a family for rent or for sale. If the bedrooms are absolutely tiny and there's one living area, that make up this four-bedroom house. Yeah, that's right. So I guess because we're, we are both specialist property managers, we sell for our clients and we've got this property investment advisory, we can put that lens over any potential property that someone's looking to buy, you know, from choosing the suburb right down to choosing the property. Now, let's say you've found that property, Dwayne, and you're all excited you're going to put an offer in. Why is it the buyers don't really think about what they include in that offer? They just run with whatever the sales agent gives them. It doesn't seem too smart. <laughs> They're way too excited. They finally found something. Um, so, yeah, sometimes they get ahead of themselves. And I've noticed that on a few occasions where offers have gone in, they've been accepted, and then I get the call. And they say, well, what do you think of this property? Sometimes... I think what I need to say are two different things. But, you know, at the end of the day, we want to make sure that they purchase the right property for them. And in terms of the special conditions that we can actually add to the O&A, so before you actually write up your offer, there's a couple of things that's really, really important to, to focus on. Now, if you are putting an offer in on a property, it's either vacant or the seller's living there or it's tenanted. And yep. the first thing I guess we'll get into is the tenanted side of things. If the property is tenanted, please, please, please make sure you get a copy of the lease so you know how much rent is actually coming in the door and what conditions are written into that lease, which you are then bound to as the new owner. Um, Make sure you get a copy of the property condition report too, just to make sure that the condition in which the tenants took the property on will be returned in that way too. And that way we've got something to hold tenants accountable to. And the last routine inspection, sometimes you get it, sometimes you won't, but at least it gives you an insight to how these tenants are to deal with and how they look after the property ongoingly. So when you've purchased the property, you're stuck with a tenant, but at least you know it's a good tenant that's going to be there for X amount of months, X amount of years. And I guess uh, like a savvy buyer can make you know all of these things required in the offer and subject to their satisfaction of yep. these things. Uh, 100%. And I think this is part of the due diligence kind of thing that, you know, you need to do. But the other part I would mention, and I think this is probably the most important part, is the paid to date. When is the tenant actually paid to? Because if they're paid to two or three months prior, they're already behind in rent. 
uh, they're probably not going to catch that up. And in fact, they probably won't continue to pay you rent as a new owner as well. So make sure you get the information beforehand because nothing worse than buying someone else's hand grenade and, you know, you're basically, you're wearing it for, for somebody else who's put the wrong tenant in there. So yeah, those are very, very important. Especially things. important at the moment or a moratorium isn't it? Believe it or not, we see it out there when... Uh, our clients are looking to buy properties. Often a, a seller is selling because they're having difficulties with their tenant. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> they can just get rid of the whole problem altogether, then yep. they've solved their problem. <laughs> but so, don't necessarily, we're mentioning these things as things to be aware of. Some real opportunities to purchase can be found when there is tenancy problems. And, you know, we've become experts at helping investors solve such problems. And it can be worth taking them on with the understanding that, okay, we might not get little to no rent, but we will hopefully be able to get them out come end of moratorium. And, you know, if you build your buffers in and, and understand the, the downside, then, you know, if you could pick up something for 50 grand less, it can, can really be worthwhile. But, of course, we do hope that the moratorium doesn't get extended and that becomes even harder <laughs> yeah that's it and i think it's more about the more you know then the more you can build those buffers in isn't it jared yeah um, exactly. if you don't know these things if you don't ask for these things on settlement day when you do get these things or you might not get these things or you or... don't get these things in the case <laughs> yeah. of no property condition report or that's no right. application or oh well we're supposed to lodge that bond with the department oh we've kept it in our bank account yes we've we have, <laughs> yeah. we've spent it <laughs> yes, we've seen that before, haven't we? But look, in, in regards to the other side of things, if the property is actually vacant or the seller's living in there, then you know, you'd write your conditions slightly differently. And some things for inspiration might be early access to commence marketing, right? You combine that with a condition for the use of the sales photos for marketing for the purposes of finding a tenant. And you would write something along the lines of it being when the offer goes unconditional, for instance. So at the moment, the offer goes unconditional. You get the photos from your sales agent. You put an ad up saying property available for rent and you can start gathering interest and showing tenants through so long as you've written those things into the ONA to basically get that leasing process started sooner. Now, we've done this with a few clients and there was one particular property in Scarborough that we've helped a client with. And we got the tenant to move in three days after settlement because we started all of this stuff early on on day three after settlement we had the tenant moving in so it really does make a big impact to your vacancy you know if it's five hundred dollars a week and it's taking you two or three weeks then it's costing you a thousand to fifteen hundred bucks so by adding that condition in, you can actually save yourself a few thousand dollars too yeah well we certainly go to wards paying for our uh, entire fees and the before we've <laughs> yeah. even started when we do that. Yeah. But I guess our hands are tied if those conditions aren't there in there. As early as we'd love to get into the property, you know, many sellers will, they're going through, they're packing and they're moving in their other things. So many of them um, would just say no if you haven't had them agree prior. Now, what are some of the other things that buyers miss out of their offer docs that I guess we can help ensure they're are contained in there? <laughs> Yeah, well, some of those things, I think, look like the warranty over the electrical, the plumbing, the gas, the reticulation, just to make sure that they're all going to be working at the time of settlement as well. So we're trying to build that cost back onto 
the seller and not have the buyer buy it and have things not working, not operational, and then have to fork out more money to get those things operational. Yeah. I mean, we hate being the bad guy coming in and saying, sorry, new buyer, do you realize that all of these things aren't working and we're actually going to have to, you know, get them sorted before we're willing to take on management of the property? And I guess that's a bitter pill for some new buyers to swallow, but we have very high standards when it comes to the properties that we manage. And why? Because the better you know, condition, the better presented, the better the quality of tenant we can attract, and also the better return that we can get for that, that client as well. So, Yeah, that's right. And it, once a property is up to standard, the easier it is to keep it there too. It's kind of like, I think they did a study on crime in New York. This is a bit of a strange example, but they found that when even small crimes were allowed, such as broken windows and trash being you know, thrown everywhere, that it led to an escalation of crime. And I've been wanting to do a study on tenancies too. When a, when a property is <laughs> not maintained, I suspect as well that you know, they, they don't treat the property as well, leads to greater maintenance, leads to greater cost ongoingly. And I think there'd be an escalation in the cost of the investor too. Oh, 100% agree. In fact, for a fact, we know that average properties attract average tenants and great properties attract great tenants. So really wanting to make sure those properties are presented in the best possible way when we're taking it to market. Exactly. Hopefully as well, the uh, buyers included subject to building and pest inspection (laughs) reports. And, And there can be some nasty conditions, you know, that are written in by some sales agents that don't even give the carrying out of these reports any weight. So I'd always suggest that they're written with good strength and some favour towards the the buyer, preferably to this to your satisfaction with those reports. And this is a great opportunity for us as a property manager to have some input, isn't it? Sure is. If you can look over the building inspection report, you can sort of pick up all those little maintenance issues and provide a bit of an a structure as to when and how these things need to be repaired. Some are urgent, some not so urgent that could probably be dealt with a little bit later on. It really just comes down to having a look and, again, more knowledge you know, the, the better you can make a better decision. Yeah, not necessarily deal breakers, but if you know that the gutters are rusted through or about to be, then you really need to be, you know, setting aside some buffer for getting that done before the next big rains come because otherwise then you're going to get overflow into your eaves and roof and you might be dealing with a lot more problems than otherwise so (laughs) yeah that's it exactly and the catch-all that we're seeing i guess used by some of the buyers agents out there and you know just to be clear we're not buyers agents but we can recommend really good ones depending on your strategy and what you're looking to achieve but The subject to due diligence is a great kind of all-encompassing one that might be, say, valid for seven days and enables the buyer uh, to check into any unknown aspects with the purchase, especially if it's an off-market sale or photos and other things aren't readily available. And I know it's a lot more common for the East Coast investors when they aren't able to know everything and they just want to tie the property up and make sure that it's contracted and then you know, look into the finer details, but it can also be important if you're purchasing a development site. You might also include in there things like subject to a geotechnical report, subject to a survey being done, put timeframes. And in the case of the geotech, 
you might want to say subject to satisfaction, your satisfaction of the geotechnical report. And keep in mind as well, this is all just general advice. It's definitely worth running the final clauses past your settlement agent and or solicitor. And we're just providing some, you know, a bit of general information what to include in there. Yeah. One thing I'll just like to mention on this particular topic too, I think that, you know, you've got to do a bit of a balancing act when you're putting in your offer and acceptance. And, you know, you could fit in there another hundred, you know, conditions, you know, and the seller goes, nah, stuff this. It's just too much work. No, it's not worth it. I'll just go with one that's a touch lower in price, but I don't have to go through all of these, you know, headaches. So it is a balancing act to make sure you've got that right. And I think the other thing that's really important to take away with the conditions in the offer and acceptance is that you can use that as a bargaining tool as part of your negotiations too. I'll take out this condition, right, rather than dropping the price. And that can be a counter offer too. So there's a few things like that that you can you can do by adding those conditions in and um, having a bit more play with it. And then taking them away if you need to. And especially if you've got multiple offers and you, you, you know, getting feedback from the agent, the price is, you know, really getting pushed. And, you know, you want to, in that case, certainly in the case of when we bought our home recently, nine other offers on the table and we're making that offer as clean as possible, only leaving <laughs> the essentials and, you know, nothing that's going to hurt our chances of you know being chosen so yeah that's right and that's why i mentioned it is a balancing act i think that of course if you're the only offer in oh yeah and uh this is an ugly duckling that the rest of the market doesn't see see uh have interest in then you know you can certainly be a bit more creative with what you put in there (laughs) yeah that's right (laughs) the other one uh that it's probably obvious, but people don't often think about it, it is that trades and service providers are becoming extremely hard to get. And if you've bought a property that does need work, while we're not renovation project managers, we do have all of the you know run-of-the-mill maintenance-related trades that we can provide. And ours are certainly a lot more answerable to us and, and are well-priced. So that's something that you're regularly helping the new purchaser with, aren't you? Oh, that's right. I mean, when we go out and meet the property and meet the client, there is usually a list of things that need to be organized in order to get the property ready for rent. So we make a bit of a list and some things the client can do themselves and save a few dollars, but there's a couple of things that they might not want to do uh, or that they can't do. And that's when we can organize our trainees to get out there and do that work. So I think that's a really good point there, Jared, because in this current marketplace, you know, try and get an air conditioning technician out to your property. It's going to take you two to three weeks, uh, you know, (laughs) for a normal person who's calling someone on Google. But for us, at least, with the relationship we have and the work that we send to our tradies, they prioritize us and make things happen for us because they need us. So I think that's a really good point that you make. And I guess finally, on the other end of the side of the whole in journey that anyone has with a given property is the sale or potential sale someday of that asset and i guess i would if i was uh, placing myself in the uh, buyer's position i'd always be thinking about you know can this agency that i'm appointing as my manager also handle the end sale and are they used to and a specialist at handling the sale of rental properties because you know not every agent can handle a sale of a rental property smoothly and it's something that we've come to specialize in and it goes beyond just transactional you know 
when's the best time to sell if you ask a local agent the best times now because he wants his commission um whereas we'd be a lot more strategic with our clients if if they're wanting to sell and make their next plans happen very often it's i need to get a certain price back and we very realistic in our pricing and make sure that you know they're not going to upset their tenant and not going to spend money on marketing just to go you know sit with empty home opens mm. so we uh, can certainly have some input and advise on the timing of that and be realistic on the pricing that they're going to get and really help them maximize their gain so that they're choosing the timing to best suit that overall plan so i love going deeper with people and saying well why are you actually selling and you know, if you're not planning to retire for another two to three years, yet you've hold, held on to the property for the last five, and why would you sell when we've got what will be the greatest growth period ahead for the next two to three years that we've had, had in the last 10? So, yeah. again, you know, the local agent would just take your sales order and, and sell and, and convince you to sell, but I um, am very much about making sure it's the right thing for their overall strategy and uh, then making the whole process smooth with tenants because uh, the normal sales agent comes in, ruffles feathers, puts the tenant offside, then we start hearing from them as the property manager, oh, the sales agent, you know, didn't give me enough notice for the home open. They they don't respect my space. They, you know, keep showing buyers through at all hours of the week. So we really, I guess, work hard to keep the tenant on side because if the sale doesn't go according to plan and you don't get your price, Hello, you're keeping this tenant, and you, and or maybe you're not because they're going to be moving out because the sales agents upset them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Absolutely. And I guess with our strength in the property management side as well, what are some of the other th- things that we can do for that outgoing tenant? We can provide them references, and very often the team have got other potential rentals for them to move to. So that usually gets them on side, doesn't it? Sure does. And I think. One of the things that we do at Investors Edge anyway, you know, we're all very, very into our property investment and making sure that we can get the most out of the property at any point rather than waiting till a tenant moves out and doing all this work and, you know, managing the property in a way that it's always going to be at its, you know, best value, the way the tenant's looking after it, the way it's presenting. We want to make sure that it's always kept nice and high in terms of its value. Yeah, that's a good point. You never know when you are going to look to sell it. Things can come up. You you might have that dream home that you found that you need the extra borrowing capacity for and all of a sudden we want to put your rental on the market. Well, if you haven't maintained it and kept it up, it's you're not going to be getting that best price, are you? Oh, that's right. And sometimes what tenants want and what buyers want aren't exactly the same as well. So by having that kind of insight, we can give you and, – and obviously understanding the client's goals as well understanding what they're hoping to achieve um keeping in touch with them exactly i mean if a client's planning to demolish the house in two to three years our management (laughs) style is going to be you know entirely different so if this is going to be in their portfolio for the next you know 10 20 30 years and we also do look after a lot of people's original family homes so we get that there's that extra sentimental attachment to a family home and I'm just about to rent out my family home and be uh, one of those uh, <laughs> landlords for us. <laughs> yeah. But exactly. uh, we really need to, I guess we appreciate that people have different needs, want different things from their property manager. We find out what's the most important thing to them and focus on giving it to them, don't we? 
Yeah, that's it. Exactly. And uh, it's most important that we do that to make sure that they actually help or we actually help them achieve their property and financial goals where we can. So yeah, understanding our clients is really, really important to us. Awesome. Well, thanks for chatting today, Dwayne. I'm pretty sure I'll get you back again sometime because you know I'm your boss and you have to come on. So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's been good chatting, mate. Oh, awesome. Thank you, mate.